0: Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program.
1: Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I am Tony Vernetti from Feds, Federal Employee Defense Services, and today is a beautiful day here in Washington, D.C. It's Friday, February 24th, 2017. And our topic and guest for the show today is the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, which is a show we like to do here at Fed Talk about three, four times a year so that we can learn about all the issues and challenges facing federal law enforcement officers uh, these days. And I'm delighted to have in studio with me Pat O'Carroll. Pat is the executive director for FLIOA. Good morning, Pat, and welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Tony.
1: I should also let our listeners know that a little later in the show we will also be joined by one of Flioa's agency presidents, Jason Huppenberger, who is the Flioa agency president for the Forest Service. Jason will be with us to discuss um, what I guess we can call some controversial piece of legislation proposed by Congressman Chavitz to turn which is to turn all law enforcement functions over public lands, which is currently under the jurisdictions of the Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management. They want to uh, turn it all over to local law enforcement. Uh, The bill, which has been dubbed a Law Enforcement for Local Lands Act, is certainly something that, Leoa is very opposed to, so uh, you don't want to miss that discussion a little bit later. Just a reminder that FedTalk is brought to you by Federal Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. For more information, go to www.ltcfeds.com. That's ltcfeds.com. And so, Pat, let me uh, start with you and have you introduce uh, FLEOA to our listeners and tell us a little bit about uh, your membership, who you represent, um, and the important work you all do.
2: Absolutely, Tony. Um, well, Flioa is a Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and back in the 70s, and I hate to say it, uh, I was around in that time when it was founded, and it was founded by a group of FBI agents in New York, and they were finding that they weren't getting enough legal representation um, on different issues. And so anyway, they bonded together. They got together with a group of um, other agents in the New York and the New Jersey area on it. And at the time, I was a Secret Service agent assigned in in Newark, New Jersey. Anyway, um, that group got together, and um, it's now grown to about between 26 and 27,000 members, we represent 26 law enforcement agencies. And um, as an example, we've got the FBI, the ATF, the Secret Service, um, all the major law enforcement organizations. And now we represent most of the IG agents. We represent uh, mm-hmm. Veterans Administration police, postal police, uh, Capitol Hill police. So we have a lot of law enforcement organizations, not just the agents. We also have uh, police officers that are our members.
1: I should mention for our listeners, while uh, Pat is a recently sort of new executive director for FLIOA, he is certainly not new to federal law enforcement with over 44 years experience in law enforcement. I was reading that earlier today thinking, like, I think I I was in diapers back then. Um, So um, he certainly is somebody who's uh, been in and around and seen a lot of, a lot of the development in in federal law enforcement. I want to just tell our listeners that they want to get more information about FLEOA membership, um, its benefits, and to join, uh, they can go to the website, which is FLEOA.org, F-L-E-O-A.org, or you can call the member services at 866-55-FLEOA, 866-55-FLEOA. So I want to jump right into kind of the important legislative uh, work that FLIOA is is focusing on. Um, we've got a new president, perhaps you've heard, um, you know, and things are, are off and running. Um, there's a new attorney general. Um, so I know there was something uh, FLIOA that's near and dear to um, its interests is the sentencing reform bill. And I know you've had some you know recent discussions with the administration on that. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, that's a good one to start off with, Tony. Um, in fact, I, I'm very excited that yesterday, Philo, um, along with the uh, chiefs of police, major city chiefs of police, the uh, Fraternal Order of Police, National Sheriff's Association, we were invited by uh, the new attorney general, Jeff Sessions, uh, to lunch. And uh, it was his first luncheon hosted by the attorney general, and he had about, I guess, a little more than a dozen of us There And what was kind of interesting is is that uh, back when the attorney general was a senator, a year ago, we got involved. I guess one of the first things I did, I've been doing this now since last July, but one of the first uh, introductions that I was given was to Senator Sessions' staff, and one of the big issues last year was the sentencing reform bill. Anyway, yesterday at lunch, Senator Sessions brought up in front of this whole group that one of the biggest issues at the moment is 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 the safety of our citizens. And over the past few years, about twenty percent of uh, the prisoners in federal prisons have been released, and that's been done with commutations, pardons. The sentencing uh, has been uh, re- the sentencing commission has uh, pardoned and uh, released prisoners. But anyway, one of our biggest concerns is is back in the eighties. Crime was skyrocketing, just probably around the time that President Reagan came into office. And one of the things that was adopted at that time was stronger sentencing and trying to put the criminals in jail. And if you take a look at a chart, what you'll see is as more prisoners were put into jail, what you were finding is is that the crime rate was dropping dramatically. And one of our biggest concerns at the moment— is that when, with all these prisoners being released, if you notice, we've been having a spike in terms of crime in major cities. We've been having a spike in terms of narcotic uh, deaths and um, other issues along those lines. So as Senator Sessions said yesterday, is, is that um, one of our goals is, is that we know everybody doesn't have next door living to you a murderer, but our jails are filled with them, and when you read them released... The murderers are going to be on the streets. So what we have to do is, is find ways for sentencing reform that is much more uh, cautious in terms of uh, you know the sentences that are be going in the future. But anyway, through that uh, for the last year we've got a coalition between us, the sheriffs association, with the chiefs, and with the U.S. attorneys' uh, uh, assistant U.S. attorneys association. And um, we've been working very closely on trying to either uh, amend, change, or stall the uh, sentencing reform. And one of the things that we're working right on now, and we're very supportive of, is a crime commission. And we're feeling on it is, is that if more information was found out by Congress and the public in terms of the state of crime. Prevention at the moment and making recommendations on it, it would have a lot more impact rather than just a knee-jerk reaction where you're saying that uh, too many people are in prisons and release them. And one of our other big concerns in federal prisons is the fact that um, most of them aren't, you know, just small-time dealers. These are big-time drug dealers to get into a federal prison. And There is no such thing as arbitration when they get into fights with other drug dealers on it. They're actually extremely violent. They're very often using guns, and it's a segment that's uh, dangerous, and our feeling on it is, is that that they should be still in jail. So anyway, that kind of gives you a little bit of the interaction that we've had with other agencies on one bill, as an example.
1: Let me ask you at this at this luncheon because the the new attorney general, um, unfortunately, as you well know, inherits inherits a, a climate for the past I don't know a couple of years maybe more um, that our society there's the all this anti law enforcement sentiment um, you know out there. Um, did the, the, the the leaders, did they recognize that? Did they raise that as an issue with the attorney general? Did he acknowledge that? Uh,
2: very good question on it. In terms of that, that's one of the sort of the interesting things. When we ran around the table with each of the heads of the organization speaking, one of the things that did come out was is that we were reminding the attorney general that he is the head of law enforcement for America. And at the moment, all of us are saying that we've never seen the morale in in our law enforcement officers at, at such a low level. And one of the parts of it is is that there's been a few bad apples out there that have given a bad reputation to law enforcement, and, and it's gotten, you know, pandemic. It, it's gone across all lines. All cops have been being painted, and enforcement officers are painted with sort of the same brush. And what we were commenting on yesterday is, is at the moment— the education level of law enforcement officers is at an all-time high. The training for law enforcement officers is, is exceptional. And everything, everybody's doing what we think is right, but we've had a few bad steps on it. and right. What we have to do is recognize that, discipline the bad actors on it, and uh, move forward.
1: You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. I'm here with Pat O'Carroll from the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and we're talking about the important issues facing those in federal law enforcement. We'll continue our discussion with Pat and Fleoa after this break and a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. I'm Tony Bernetti from Feds, and I'm talking with Pat O'Carroll, the Executive Director of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and we are, of course, talking about the important issues facing those in federal law enforcement. Um, before we took our break, Pat, you were um, talking about your recent luncheon with the with the new Attorney General, where he was kind of, you know, showcasing some of the important issues. Um, uh, he sees um, dealing with federal law enforcement. We're talking about the sentencing um, the reform and, and 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 those things. Um, I know there's some issues that are near and dear to Fleo's heart involving probation and pretrial officers. Can you address that for us?
2: Yeah, Tony. Uh, one of the, I guess when we went around the table and we had talked, and then you know the attorney general was talking about the release of twenty percent you know, of federal prisoners. Uh, it came to my turn to uh, bring something up. And what I said to the attorney general was, is that these 20% of the prisoners that are getting out are happening at such a rapid pace. In the past, what was happening was, is usually probation officers, of which we have quite a few as our members in our organization, had about one year that they could uh, prepare a person before they were being released from prison. And what you have to realize is, is that The success rate of prisons, I think, as most people know, is not very successful. The recidivism rate is anywhere from about 50 to 75%, depending on whether it's federal or state prisons. And I was saying that the problem with it now is is that so many people have been released so frequently that the probation officers, instead of having a year in which to prepare somebody to come back into society, oftentimes are only getting days and even sometimes hours before people are released. They go out into society unprepared, and then the uh, opportunity for, you know, recidivism is is even higher. One of our bills that we've been looking at, and it should be one that we hopefully will be passing this year, is is on Probation Officer Protection Act. And what that is is that probation officers are, interestingly enough— don't have full law enforcement authority. So if they're in a person's house interviewing a person on probation and another person sitting in the room is uh, dealing drugs, as an example, uh, they cannot make an arrest of that person. And even yet, if the person gets aggressive towards them, they have to, re, you know, step out into the hallway and di- dial nine one one, as opposed to being able to act as a law enforcement officer. So, anyway, a correction to that is is in the works, and we're hoping to get it passed.
1: You know, it's interesting. They also don't have um, similar off duty law enforcement authority. The the probation officers, and you know, they have similar exposures. You know, they're out in the community dealing with you know these people who have recently you know been released. They see their face. Um, you know, they don't have the authority to act if they see something or protect themselves. Um, and it's essentially, you know, it's, I've always said, it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Either you're a federal law enforcement officer or you're not, and if you are, you ought to be treated as such from, you know, A to Z.
2: Absolutely. And along those lines, it's just kind of even interesting, Tony, another thing that we're looking at is, is when we're taking a look at postal police officers as an example, what happens with them is they're not allowed to be armed on their way into work. So here we have people that are out in uniform uh, making felony stops uh, of people that are threatening postal carriers on it. And then as they leave work, they uh, lock their gun up and uh, head home. Um, We feel again, just as you said, if it quacks like a duck, they're officers, (laughs) they're cops.
1: One of the things um, when people ask me, because um, as you know, I work closely uh, with FLEOA, um, the benefits um, of the organization, there's obviously the legal services benefits, which is huge. Um, but the thing I champion the most is the advocacy, um, you, know, you know, the advocacy on Capitol Hill, the advocacy working with various agencies on, on getting things done. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the successes um, that FLIOA has been involved in last year.
2: Absolutely. Um, what we're very proud of is, is the fact that last year between uh, Chris Granberg and some of the other who is our lobbyist on the Hill and others of us who come in kind of like me as his color commentators to help Chris out and explain from a law enforcement officers uh, what the benefits of bills are. But uh, we've been sponsored. We assisted on the passing of about 12 bills, which is when you start taking a look at our 1811 magazine that comes out, all we're doing is talking about successes. So every time anybody now has an issue on it, they think that uh, we'll walk up to the hill and get the bill passed. And <laughs> oftentimes, as you well that's know, Tony, it sometimes is three to four years before. That's you not can how get the sausage
1: bill. gets made, as they say. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. So, uh, but anyway, we're very proud of the 12 different bills that we did. We have, you know, Fallen Heroes Flag Act. We have uh, where we've gotten basically the ATF building named after a deceased agent. Um, We've got ones where overtime pay is being paid fairly to all different uh, forms of uh, law enforcement officers. So anyway, we're getting a lot of parity and a lot of benefits to our members out there. So um,
1: tell us what's on the agenda for this year.
2: Yeah, we've got a few major things going this year. Uh, first one that we're, we're taking a look at is this, you know, fair return for employees on their retirement that's earned. And um, anyway, that bill is, is one that um, we, I guess Senator Tester is uh, the sponsor of. We're very supportive of that. And what that's going to do is, is to protect the retirement of different federal law enforcement officers. We're also taking a look at the Law Enforcement Equity Act. And on that one there, we've been meeting with uh, several senators in their offices on it. And with that one there is it's, again, to make sure that just using uh, your example, Tony, of the quacks like a duck is we've got a lot of law enforcement agencies out there. Uh, as an example, it'd be, you know, the Veterans Administration Police Department, FBI police, different police organizations out there that aren't getting the same benefits as other ones. So we're trying to look for parity and, and get that so done. So
1: wh- what's the issue, I guess, with the, with the retirement, with the law enforcement retirement issue that, that we're always focused on?
2: Well, what we're taking a look at is, is that, you know, your uh, law enforcement availability pay in many cases is added into the retirement of agents when you retire. And if uh, an organization is paying overtime, but it isn't under the same recognition of the law enforcement availability pay, um, it's not recognized by OPM as part of their retirement. Okay, so we're trying that's a good to get point. And uh, so, for pay.
1: our listeners who don't understand um, law enforcement availability pay or LEAP, um, is essentially overtime for federal law enforcement for our 1811s, our special agents um, back. In the day, <laughs> back in your day at Secret Service, you know they used to try to call it A U O, or they had overtime, um, and it just became very difficult to administer. And leap essentially is, hey, on average, we think all federal law enforcement officers are working two plus hours every day, so we're just going to pay them that premium, that twenty five percent premium, right out the gate, um, and essentially not have to worry about. It. Um, tracking it so that goes right into their overtime whereas if you're making some right into their retirement calculation whereas if you're making overtime in some other capacity which are still entitled to overtime um, it's not getting factored in yeah very okay. good example I, Tony. I actually didn't 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 realize that um, so um, have you had any um, have you had any meetings with OPM or anything like that?
2: Yeah, we have. We've uh, met with OPM. We've talked to them in terms of uh, overtime issues. One of the ones along those lines that we talked to OPM about was is when uh, DHS was founded, what they did on, on their law enforcement officers in many cases, they paid them the equivalent of the law enforcement availability pay, but didn't give it that. So anyway, as agents are now retiring from DHS, and some, some of the agents in different components of it OPM has ruled that there, although they had received money in overtime, it wouldn't be calculated into their retirement. So anyway, we've been meeting with OPM on that. We've been meeting with OPM in terms of uh, issues on retirement uh, pay that different employees are getting, and then where OPM is making arbitrary decisions on withholding different amounts of it. So anyway, we've been pretty aggressive with talking to OPM. And our thought on it is is that It'd be much better if we can administratively change these things by talking to OPM instead of trying to go through a legislative fix on it, which oftentimes can take years and is going to have people with money withheld or whatever it is and and making their lives difficult. So we've been very aggressive on that.
1: So something that um, unfortunately impacts uh, those in federal law enforcement uh, more than any other um, position in the federal government, in my opinion um, is getting injured at work injured in, 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 the line of duty. Um, so I know there's a host of issues that, that come with that. Um, you know, what's that mean for the, for the officer, for the agent? Um, you know, what's that mean for them returning to work? You know, what are some of the issues that Phileo is working at in in that regard?
2: That's a, a really a, a complicated issue, Tony. In terms of that, one of the things is is that if let's say, well, first is is that unlike you know, let's say a mail carrier that's going to have certain things of you know tripping, falling, getting chased by a dog, whatever, on it, um, law enforcement officers usually their injuries are going to be much more life threatening. Uh, and what happens then is is that after a law enforcement officer is injured on the job. Oftentimes, they're not going to be able to re- recover sufficiently to go back and do the same job that they did before. And what's been happening now is, is that if they do come back that they can work, but they can't work in a law enforcement position, they're usually thrown into a pool and can be sent to any of the different agencies. And our concern on it is, is that we're losing that you know, knowledge that those agents have of their agency on it. So one of the thoughts would be is is that if you are an FBI agent and you're injured and you can't come back as a working FBI agent, you could come back as an FBI analyst and still be able to earn the benefits that you had been promised as an agent.
1: You know, and this has always been an issue, you know, I go back to the days you know, when I worked, you know, I worked at ATF and this was a big issue back then. It's, a, it's also a win-win for the agency. Uh, somebody's injured in the line of work um, they could be on full-time workers comp on a department of labor's roles the agency's still responsible for paying those benefits those salaries you know and you have a you know you have an asset out there on the sidelines that you're paying anyway you know this is money that comes right off the top of the agency's budget why not take that asset and find some capacity you know that you can you can put them to work you know in some capa- you know and i found that they, they kind of they have this line in the sand. Uh, you can perform all the essential functions of your job, or you can't. And then nobody wants to think with any sort of creativity or flexibility in the agencies.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thought on it is is by the time you hire somebody, you train them, you bring them up to a level where they understand the inner workings of an organization, it's years where you can just easily, with the, you know, kind of a wave of a wand, get all that knowledge. Right.
1: Right. Well, and training is a good point. I mean, look, I can't kick in a door anymore. I can't be out there, you know, as a lead agent. But I could, you know, tell you how things are done. I can train. We can go down to Fletzy, you know, and do certain things. You can help guide investigations, you know, different you know strategies and how to do that. Work with CIA There's a host of things, you know, that that agents can do. You know, even though they can't quote perform that primary rigorous law enforcement functions anymore.
2: Yeah, and um, one other quick one on it is, is that that's one of our issues now is is that we've, we've been finding a lot of our agents, and especially since our, our missions are starting to expand outside of the United States, are getting sick and hurt outside of the United States. And we're finding that the, the treatment that they get, that they're not necessarily getting the coverage on it. So we're taking a look to have that. We're working with the Department of Labor in a lot of cases where people are getting injured overseas and we're not getting proper treatment.
1: You know, and is has la- labor been receptive? Are they, they working, you know, working with you on this? I've also sa- said when we deal with this issue and other kind of like workers comp issues, um, you know, sometimes there's uh, the posture of the bureaucracy to say, hey, it's one size fits all. But you look at federal law enforcement, there's a reason there's, there's all these special rules that apply to them. You know, there, there's special ethics rules. There's special you know, overtime rules that we've talked about. you know, you got special retirement and things like that. You know, so often in how these benefits apply to you, there, there ought to be some independent special thinking about it.
2: That's a, a good one too. And that's one of the thoughts that I brought when I uh, came here, I guess nine months ago as the executive director is is that a lot of times we can, through personal relationships, be able to leverage that to so it'll help us. So I've been, I guess three or four times now meeting with the Department of Labor, with work their workers comp office on it and explaining the uh, the intricacies of federal law enforcement and the injuries that are happening on the job. And I gotta say is is that those personal relationships are priceless. They're 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 helpful, they reach out to their other organizations and they've been, you know, trying to help out our agents along the way.
1: We have to stop here for our second break. When we come back we'll be joined by Special Agent Jason Hoppenberger, who is the FLIOA agency president for the Forest Service.
0: If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message.
1: Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. I am Tony Bernetti from Feds, and I've been talking with Pat O'Carroll, the Executive Director for FLIOA, about the current hot issues facing federal law enforcement officers. At this time, I would like to invite on the show FLIOA's agency president for the Forest Service, Jason Huppaberger. Good morning, Jason. Thanks for spending some time with us today.
3: Good morning, Tony, Pat. Thanks for having me on.
1: So we asked Jason on the show this morning to speak about the controversial bill called the Law Enforcement for Local Lands Act that has recently been proposed by Representative Shavitz. Uh, Before I do that, I should mention that although I introduced Jason as a special agent and that he certainly has a day job as a special agent with the Forest Service, he is not appearing today in his official capacity, but rather his personal capacity as a representative of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. So Pat, let me let me first have you kind of introduce this issue to our listeners, and then we can ask uh, Jason to respond.
2: Yeah, Tony. Hi, Jason. Um, what I guess I Jason and I met about six months ago when uh, Jason came into Washington, and the two of us met with the director of the Forest Service law enforcement, and uh, we've been uh, you know partnering on different issues along the way. Recently, what happened was this, uh representative Chaffetz from Utah. Proposed a bill where he was where he proposed two bills. One bill was on it was is, would be the turnover federal lands to uh, the states, and then another bill on it would be as you spoke a moment ago, would be to change the jurisdiction from our you know Forest Service employees and our Bureau of Land Management who manage the federal you know land in states, and turn those authorities over to sheriff's offices and. Our concern on it is is that, you know, all this, you know, everything going back to the days of Teddy Roosevelt and the state parks, all that is put at risk on this. And I think Jason can explain pretty well the difference between the expertise of our agents that are out there now and what would be lost if it was turned over.
1: Yeah, Jason, let me have you address that. Uh, But actually, before um, you do that, um, if you could just briefly introduce kind of this concept of law enforcement at the Forest Service, BLM and things like that. Because I think a lot of people like me who sit here in the East Coast drinking my latte don't really appreciate that there are a whole cadre of of law enforcement officers out there in the Forest Service Service and BLM that are responsible um, for protecting these lands and our resources.
3: Sure, Tony. Um, well, what we're talking about here is, is is approximately, the number we've been using is about a 1,000 federal law enforcement officers and agents that make up the Bureau of Land Management and U.S. Forest Service law enforcement entities. Um, while the two agencies are often unique, um, or similar for that matter, in the, in the way that they manage the, the federal public lands, uh, their law enforcement uh, entities are... Similar, uh, the Forest Service is actually a stovepipe organization, so they have their own chain of command that runs from the field straight up through to D.C. to a director and ultimately to the chief of the Forest Service. Uh, The Bureau of Land Management is much more integrated um, within their agency, supervised by non-law enforcement folks. Um, But... uh, you know, there, like I said, there's about a thousand positions that we're talking about here, uh, and they're federal agents, they're federal law enforcement officers, uh, and in no way are their duties to uh, supersede or undermine local law enforcement. In fact, the agencies work with local law enforcement, uh, you know, through proprietary and concurrent jurisdiction. So it actually it, – it, it's what we kind of refer to as supplemental law enforcement. Uh, the agencies are there to uh, work the resource crimes, the, the federal interest issues, but local law enforcement still certainly has – full of full authority on the lands in question
1: just like the rest of law enforcement you know as it applies to atf dea you know secret service they we all work they all work closely very closely especially since 9-11 with state and locals whether it's through task force you know or just joint operations or cooperation
3: sure exactly
1: so um, tell us, tell us a little bit. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating is one of the sort of you want to read into the rhetoric um, from Shabitz. You know, is the the state and local law enforcement officers are going to be better equipped uh, to deal with these issues because they know the locals. Um, now, it, it's always been my experience that particularly the law enforcement folks um, in the Forest Service in BLM. Um, are pretty entrenched in the local community there um, and you know as far as you know quote knowing the locals or having you know the locals trust and confidence to to carry out you know the laws fairly and equitably you know it's been my experience in, in doing this stuff over the years that that that's already pretty good. I don't know what it is they're looking to change.
3: Sure um, well, it's, it's interesting because I've had a lot of phone calls from uh, uh, FLEOA members across the country, and, and they're saying, hey, wait a minute. I'm very involved in my community. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a volunteer fireman. Uh, I serve on city council. Um, I, I love where I live. Um, I love the job that I have. And, and so – it is uh, very misleading. Um, the nature of these positions often require remote duty stations. That's just the reality of it. Right. We're not talking about uh, is, you know assigning a hundred FBI agents to downtown New York. Um, we're talking about a few officers here and there in remote areas of the country. And the fact of the matter is, is that. Local law enforcement depends on these men and women to help them protect their constituents. Um, you know, and a, a perfect example, I think, is just earlier this week, a piece by Eric Barker in the Lewis Tribune, you know, Tribune in Idaho. It quoted Sheriff Chris Getz from Clearwater County, and he was saying, you know, if, if it were my decision to make, we would still have BLM and Forest Service hang on to some of their policing duties. Uh, he went on to say that you know deputies they do not have the experience, the training, uh, the investigative techniques to handle things like commercial timber theft, wildfire investigations, things like that. So you know there is a you know on the surface the supporter of the legislation flat out saying hey. That's great. We'd like to see it pass, but you know our guys can't do it.
0: Right. So,
1: right.
3: Um, very interesting.
1: <laughs> Be careful what you give us. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, Pat, let me ask you. I mean, I, I you know, you, you read about these things, and I, and I, from where I sit, I try to evaluate whether this is serious. Is this just political grandstanding? Um, you know, I mean, this is a wholesale change to how. You know, we would do business on our public lands. I mean, do you see this as a real threat right now? And and then, if it did happen, what would be the cost?
2: Well, that's uh, very good points on it. Is is our concern on it is is that as Jason was mentioning, you know, we're spending pretty much six months training our agents uh, in training, and then they usually go to another six months of internship on it. So we've got about a year's worth of specialized training. And what's happening, or our concern on it, is is that if that was taken away and it was turned over to a sheriff's office, it's an elected position for the sheriff. His, you know, primary responsibility is the safety of his citizens. So our concern on it is is that if it came down to a sheriff having to make a de- or a deputy trying to make a decision, does he investigate an issue that's happening in a park? Or does a burglary in a house, of course he's going to go for the burglary in the house and not you know, use his uh, you know, ability to prevent the thing.
1: And as you point out, the very motivation for the legislation to have these personal relationships, local relationships with their constituents, that's the very problem. Yeah. you know you don't want that person carrying out the law enforcement mission
2: and the other part of it as you were saying the costs on it is is built into the bill is he's saying transfer the money from the federal government to the sheriff's offices to do this so there is no going to be any savings of money to the public on this thing it's just a transfer of money to another entity in many cases not you know protecting the citizenry one of the and things- actually
3: tony i have uh, some information that i uh recently came upon that it's not just the same amount of money it's actually a lot more money um and if you'll indulge me for a second in fiscal year 2016 the u.s forest service budgeted um approximately 126 million dollars for law enforcement that is about 7% of the entire Forest Service budget.
1: Yeah, that's a little smaller than the fighting Wildland firefighter budget.
3: <laughs> sure. Now, the, and, and it's funny you mentioned that, because um, the $126 million it's budgeted is before the money is, air finger quote here, borrowed for wildfire suppression. By borrowed, it generally is just taken. So um, now when you look at the the, le- the language in the legislation, um it it has formulas that will dictate the amount of money that is disseminated to each state for policing these federal lands when you work the formulas based on fiscal year 2016 forest service budget of 126 million dollars to implement the legislation the number is in excess of 400 million dollars so essentially we are removing federal law enforcement officers, a thousand of them, give or take. Uh, men and women that are, you know, highly educated, highly trained, highly specialized. Many of them military veterans. We're eliminating those positions. We're giving money to the states, a lot more money, and most people agree there will be less law enforcement on our federal public lands.
1: Pat, I know you have something you want to ask Jason there. Yeah, Jason. Or
0: what
2: was more just to bring the attention of the listeners on it is, is that as Jason and I have found that many of the hunting and fishing enthusiasts that are out there and clubs and associations are so uh, favorable of the Forest Service Law Enforcement and the Bureau of Land Management that, uh, amongst other things, they had mentioned to Jason and I that um, Why don't we have a press conference, and uh, why don't we have a virtual press conference where they would allow um, reporters from, I guess it was about 20 different uh, hunting and fishing magazines out there, to call in and to discuss with us. Um, the the advantages of it uh, remaining the way it is, and I got to say is is that uh, it worked out very good. We we talked to a lot of different people. We got a lot of supporters, and I guess I'll let Jason kind of wind up by giving a little bit of the results of that uh, conference.
3: Sure, uh, the results are uh, heartwarming and encouraging to. The, the folks out there that are strapping on the body armor and wearing the gun every day and going into these remote areas and putting their lives on the line, to know that there are allies out there that, that get it and that support the mission and are passionate about their public lands, um, it, it, it really helps out with our folks' morale. Um, so you know that passion, I think, was played out recently uh, when Chairman Chaffetz held a town hall in Utah Um, Now, regardless, uh, obviously there's a lot of talk about staged protests and that type of thing, but there were many folks there that were passionate about H.R. 621 that was withdrawn, and they were equally as passionate about H.R. 622. They see the, the writing on the wall. They see that 622 would severely undermine the missions of the Forest Service and the BLM. So we reached out, we reached out to some of these uh, groups after we saw uh, their success in 621, and we've received pledges of support from several groups, uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, the Wilderness Society, uh, Outdoor Alliance, the National Federation of Federal Employees, Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, uh, the Public Lands Foundation, on and on and on. So there's a significant amount of conservation groups out there, preservation groups out there. Um, that have spoken out against 622. And obviously, you know, FLEO is con- continuing to coordinate their efforts with those groups.
1: You know, and and that's a real um, good place to focus Fleo's is um, energy and efforts, I can tell you. Um, you know, myself having lived through Waco at ATF when they were trying to do wholesale changes to them, the thing that saved the agency way back then was getting all the support from the regulated entities. You know, the same thing here. I mean, you go, you've got Somebody who, in my opinion, you two aren't going to say this, but I don't work for the federal government. And I just, you know, there's political grandstanding going on, um, or catering to constituents. You know, let's take it to the people. You know, who matter. You know, who are the folks that are are actually going to be enforcing the laws on and, and regulating. Uh, you know, and see and see if they feel um, the same way. We're going to have to stop here for our third break to hear a word from our sponsor, the Federal Long Term Care Partners. When we return, we're going to wrap up today's discussion with Jason and tie up any loose ends with Faleoa. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. We are entering our last segment of the show. Um, Jason, I'm going to give you the, the last word on this, and then um, we'll say goodbye to you and let you uh, let you get back to work out there.
3: <laughs> sure, thank you. Well, you know, obviously, one thing I would like to say, and I think it's important, is that you know, in no way is our intention to uh, you know belittle or, or insult uh, Chairman Chaffetz. Uh, we recognize that he has a very distinguished career in public service, and, and we thank him for that, but obviously we disagree on on this issue. Um, you know, you, you mentioned about state and county law enforcement, and, you know, I guess one question that has not been able to, uh, that I've not been able to get answered is simply what happens when the states say, thanks, but no thanks? Uh, so um, I have not been able to get an answer to that. I think it would be interesting. I think it would create uh, large tracts of lawless land within our nation. Um, so you know whether the, the legislation actually has a chance at becoming law or not is irrelevant to us. Uh, the, the bill's mere existence—it's it's demoralizing our, our men and women behind the shield. It's emboldening the anti-federal lands activists out there, like those President Bunkerville and Mauhier. Um, it's downplaying their mission. It's downplaying the mission of the agencies. And, you know, it's also it's a slap in the face to the legacy of the families of uh, Mike Staples, Christine Fairbanks, Chris Upton, Jason Crisp, Stephen Bowman, Brent Jacobson, all forest officers that have been killed in the line of duty since 1989.
1: Yeah, and, and, and the thing that, you know, I would sort of point out as we sort of just um, tie up a bow, you know, to this, um, it, you know, when you really look at, you know, and all you have to do is get online and read um, Folio's letter um, to Congressman Chavitz and, you know, get the history of all this. You know, it, this is not about sour grapes, people, lo- you know, potentially losing their jobs at the Forest Service or BLM or things like that. You know, this is uh, about, you know, this is a bad idea and here's why, you know, and here are all the, you know, bad things that can happen, you know, and you know, for me, you know, I don't, you know, where was the outcry? There was a, a huge problem here, you know, yeah. and your point is well taken. I mean, state and local, you know, they're busy doing a lot of different things and, you know, they could be spread too thin to, to enforce the laws. So Jason, with that, um, we appreciate your time this morning. Um, and we'll see you around.
3: All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right, Pat. Let's jump back into before I jump into some of these other um, important legislative issues that um, Flioa is focusing its efforts on. Um, we're a couple months away from Police Week in May, which is um, you know a very special time here in Washington D.C., where um, a lot of federal, state, and local law enforcement officers, you know, all come together. Uh, for a very uh, special cause. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Folioa does with that? And I know you had a recent meeting with the House Majority Leader.
2: Yeah, uh, Tony. One of the things on May 13th, is is going to be the National uh, Candlelight Vigil at the Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. And that's sort of the center of Police Week. And Um, One of the thoughts on Police Week is since the focus of America is on police that week, we try to focus on uh, different bills working with Congress, and in fact, we just were supposed to have a meeting this week. It's going to be pushed off to next week with the House Majority Leader's Office and talking about which bills would be good bills that are law enforcement related that would um, be timing for release the week of Police Week. So Anyway, that's uh, one of the—I uh, guess our biggest issues coming up is going to be Police Week on it. quick side story on Police Week was is at 9-11, when we had the memorial at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial, um, we had a ceremony at it. And while we were waiting for the ceremony to begin, I, I took a walk along the wall and looked up a friend of mine who died in the line of duty, and his name wasn't there. And somehow it was overlooked. And he had been an agent that uh, was uh, protecting a um, candidate for president, and um, and died while uh, protecting him. Anyway, um, as a result of that, his name is going to be added to the wall this year on it. So we're looking. that. and that's to that. something
1: that happens a lot. I do an annual show with uh, Craig Floyd, who of course is the, um, the CEO and executive director of National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. But, and they're adding names to that wall um, you know that have died several years ago sometimes 10 20 30 40 50 50 years ago because that's a, a tribute to his staff constantly doing research um, you know to you know to address that and, and these for those of you who don't know this is sort of like the Vietnam um, war memorial wall this are the names of all the um Police officers who paid the ultimate sacrifice and, and died in, in the line of duty, they honor them by you know putting their name up on the wall, and they have an annual vigil, um, which which takes place during during Police Week, and and we'll probably be doing another show about Police Week, and there's a lot of you know stuff, the great stuff that goes along with that, the the Bike Police Unity Tour, and, and and different things like that. So let's jump into some of these with the the few minutes that we got left, Pat. Um, Tell us what else um, Flio is is focusing its efforts on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of the big things that we're taking a look at is is that um, as we know that there's been a freeze on uh, the hiring of federal employees, and uh, one of the exceptions on it was going to be for military and public safety. So we're we're trying to. Again, with law enforcement, one of our issues on it is is over the years, many of our agencies are probably down about 10% in terms of their staffing levels, and we need to bring them back up to protect America. So we're working very closely with the administration on, you know, keeping um, law enforcement positions uh, filled. So that's one issue.
1: But it's funny you say that. I got a question about Mm -hmm. that because, you know, like when I—the recent press, you know, Trump administration's gonna hire ten thousand, you know, I new ICE agents, five thousand C B P or I might have that reversed, you know, what have you. But they've they've had authority, you know, to do mat to do this wholesale hiring the past several years and they for whatever bureaucratic reason it's never been executed.
2: Yeah, we're finding that with the, with agencies on it in terms of that, and and each one of them has different you know rationales behind it. But one of the things that we're finding is is that um, they they say that it's taking almost a year to hire a person, and and what they're saying is is by the time they hire them, they're into another fiscal year, and they don't have the funding for it. And what we're oftentimes saying is is, you know, they need, you know, better foresight on this thing. And the agency should be taking a look, you know, two to three years down the road and, and trying to hire up to the levels that they have, because it's much easier to be doing a couple hundred people a year as opposed to a thousand in in a period of a couple months. So that's an issue.
1: So are they definitely going to have the, so we have the hiring freeze, which what happens normally with most new administrations, um, but are they going to have the public safety exception? Is that a done deal or what's the status of that?
2: I got to say is it's, it's in the works is probably the best way to do it. That was one of the things that the attorney general said yesterday. They're still looking at the hiring of you know agents under just department of justice as whether they will be exempted from the hiring freeze and they're still waiting for confirmation on that so i think we're going to have to give that a little time hopefully by the next time i'm here we'll have that resolved and uh, hopefully that again for the safety of america that these agencies will be able to hire
1: so we got about a minute left what else you want to want to I guess the only
2: on? other uh, major issue on that is is that um, you know the one that we're we're, we've had a lot of successes. Interesting enough, I guess probably a good one to end on after our discussing the bills from Chairman Chaffetz was his last year. I testified before the uh, uh, you know Government Reform Committee, which is Chaffetz's committee, on the need for Secret Service to get overtime. And I got to say, as a result of that, Chairman Chaffetz and Ranking Member Cummings proposed a bill where the Secret Service was paid the overtime that they were exempt that they weren't getting at the time. So it was, uh, um, I gotta say, is, is that that was a good result for our work on it and also being proactive by the, uh, the Congress.
1: Over the years, Secret Service, you got you got creative how they got around the, the Fair Labor Standards Act and the overtime rules by not setting the schedule till they were within the administrative work week. Because if you set it outside of the administrative work week, you were required um, to pay overtime. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's good to see, um, some, some movement on that. Um, so we got about, I got about 30 seconds, 45 seconds left. Let me ask you, you've been, you've been on the job with at now, you know, after I mentioned having, um, you know, a, a long stellar career in, in law enforcement, 44 years, you know, as you mentioned, secret service agent for many years and, um, also the inspector general at the social security administration. Um, how have you, you know, how's the work been with the organization? you enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. I got to say is, is that, uh, I really enjoy it. It's one of those things that one, as you had mentioned before, probably about 65 to 70% of our resources are going for defending our agents and, and having been an agent and realizing the pressure that if, you know something does happen that you need somebody that you can trust to uh, be looking out for your interests this agency does that and the other one is is with this thing here is a lot of the people that I met when I was representing the social security administration as their inspector general I also had probably one of the largest law enforcement organizations in the inspector general community and um, and I got to say is is that um, I watch out for our folks uh, there, and I'll be watching out for all of the agents so, and the other agencies. So now. that's
1: all the time we have for the show. Pat and Jason, thanks so much for spending some time with us today to talk about these important issues. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a good weekend.